Hey humans, Susan Ruth here. Welcome to episode 20 of Hey Human podcast, hosted by me, Susan Ruth. But you knew that already. How's it going? Um, In this episode, I have a great conversation with the one and only Dean Miller. And Dean Miller is a very interesting guy. He came up in the world of country music. His father is the very famous Mr. Roger Miller, a genius lyricist and songwriter, and one of one of our greatest treasures. May he rest in peace. Um, not Dean. Dean is alive and well, but his father passed away, of course. Um, you probably knew that already. Um, I feel like I'm rambling again. This is what happens when I do these late at night. Uh, I start to ramble, but that's beside the point. The point is Dean Miller, and he and I talked about all sorts of things. So he has many lifetime incarnations in this life. He is a songwriter, artist, um, dog whisperer. He uh, he trains dogs how to be better dogs, and he's a funny guy. We had a great conversation. Um, about all sorts of things, the ins and outs of life and the awesomeness of dogs and what it's like to train them and trying to train people to understand dogs. And we talked about his uh, his childhood and his family and all that stuff, all the goods. So um, thank you for listening. As always, I really appreciate it. And if you can, go on iTunes and we're under Hey Human on iTunes in the podcast section and if you could review, um, give me some stars, yo. <laughs> um, subscribe for sure. That would be amazing, and I very much appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for sharing and telling your friends and family and loved ones and all that good stuff. All right, enough of all that. Um, oh, wait, always forget this part. HeyHumanPodcast.com. There are links and information about interesting humans and the guests who are also interesting humans and various links to things that we talk about in every episode. And also uh, Instagram.com slash HeyHumanPodcast. And of course, Facebook.com slash HeyHumanPodcast. So all of the good social media things out there. Please uh, share and tell your friends and tell Cher if you know her. Maybe she'll be on. Okay? Okay. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, enjoy. Here we go. All right. The light bulb goes on. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, hello, Dean Miller. Yes. Nice to see you. Are we on? We are. Okay. I'm on. Are you on? I will get I will get nervous now, now that I know that I'm on. You will? No. Do you want me to punch you? That sometimes calms people. It, it, no one will know if you do. They'll just hear it. They'll hear it. Yeah. And then they'll think it's special effects. <laughs> exactly. I do loads of special effects on Hey Good. Human. That's a big part of it. Good. Not at all. Okay. Anyway, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. It's hot as Hades outside in Nashville. Yeah. Were you, are you from Nashville originally? I've been here since 1990 or 91, um, but I've been time. here. Yeah, so I might as well be from here. But I, I grew up in New Mexico and California. Okay. Yeah. And we'll just, you know, get the elephant who's, you know, mm-hmm. at the microphone out of the room. Mm-hmm. Get out of here, elephant. Mm-hmm. You were the son of... Of a Roger Miller. Roger Miller, who's a Roger Miller. If, one of them. If, There's oh, really a lot. Yeah, well, there are actually. Really um, many. I, one of my favorite things to do is Google my own name mm. and see what comes up. And is that masturbation? Technically, it's kind. Of, it's mental it's masturbation. It's Google-bration. Okay. 
it's it's really self-absorbed if you do it the wrong way but the way I do it is I find the freakiest people who look like Dean Miller and then I send it to my friends and say look what I put up so there's a horrendous bodybuilder who's like steroids and all this stuff and his name's Dean Miller there's a guy who makes sheets do you worry that another Dean Miller does the same thing with your picture (laughs) I bet they do I bet they do there's a Dean Miller though who plays music and, ah. and uh, I don't want to say anything disparaging about his music, but I've tried to buy his domain name, ask him for it. No, 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 no. Never going to sell it. Yeah. So I think a lot of people Google Dean Miller or go to DeanMiller.com and see this guy and think that's me. And it's. Do you think? I don't know. It's pretty. He's got his music posted. I don't want to say anything further. But, okay. But, my, you know, my websites are. Well, forget it. Someone bought my myself. name once upon a time. Really? And they still own it. And in fact, I think I know who bought it. They're nefarious. And I've never even approached them to... You haven't? No. Mm-mm. There's so many options, you yeah. know. Dean Miller, care. official Dean Miller, yeah. song, Dean Miller, music. If they want to own me, so be it. There's nothing on the site. When you when you go there, it's just a holding page with right. Russian or something. <laughs> In the early ages of the internet, I remember there was a huge problem because people were buying domain names and yeah. then redirecting them to porn sites or something mm. and then blackmailing that's how I got my start <laughs> right perfect but they were blackmailing people like I remember a lot of country artists were being blackmailed because they said if you don't buy this from us we're going to keep redirecting your fans to these porn sites right I'm getting way off so track so the, the only way to combat that is to go into porn right I was just going to say yeah absolutely so that'll show them yeah that'll show them so you know if you see that Trace Adkins porn film you know it's really is there one of those no but he I've did... heard he has a Woohoo! Big, you know what's it? Really? Yeah. Well, I've not. We're not allowed to say penis on the air. Okay, good. Yeah. On the air, is this, isn't this wires or wireless or Wi-Fi or something? I, I don't know. I well, don't. I don't know what any of it is. I just edit it and put them up there and. Hope well, if for anyone's the best. curious, I'm going to completely digress. But if anyone's interested or thinks this is, knows who Trace Atkins is or cares, he made a horrendous video about ten years ago of a song. The song is actually called "Brown Chicken, Brown Cow." Brown, brown chicken, chicken brown, brown cow. Right, and so that's the whole joke of the song. But it's a porn song. And it's yeah. a, a joke about porn music, and it's a country song. And there's a video with Muppets having sex. It exists. It's real. I'm Check it Googling out. Googling that it tomorrow. Is a, it has a, a Trace Atkins Muppet. And it was so bad that, that they released it, and the backlash was so huge that Trace Atkins released a statement apologizing for oh. ever recording the song or putting oh it out. Gosh. So... But it's Muppets having... Is it Muppets or just Muppets I don't know if they actually Muppets? have sex. They mime, like, making out, and then they disappear. There's no actual Was this sex. pre... Uh, what was the movie? The, uh, I know, the, the South the Park guys. Yeah. America. Before that? Um, Team America. Team, Team America. America. Yes. Was it before Team America? Is that I where they got remember. the idea? I do not know. It'd be interesting. Being country music, I doubt it was an original idea. I doubt uh, it was still... Well, no, I'm, I think the brown chicken, brown cow have been around for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's got to be hard when brown chickens and brown cows go out on their first date. All that expectation. (laughs) Expectation? Is that what you said? Yeah, 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 yeah. Tough. That's tough. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway. So, Dean. Yes. Son of Roger. Oh, good. Okay, that's what I was going to say. Half your audience would probably, if you're old... We'll know that Roger Miller was a country singer in the 60s and 70s. Uh, the younger audience may not even know who that is. You but think? I, That's sad, sort of, to I mean, me. I mean, I, 
I get sad when people don't know their musical history. Yeah. Not that I know everything there is to know about music, but you should know some of the greats. And Roger Miller, your father, was one of the greats. Well, I, thank you, but I feel like when well, you, you... didn't do it. Well, I feel... That's true. Uh, he's not here to say thank you, so I'm saying it on his behalf. Um, but the, um, the, the thing about him and his career, I believe, is that you say Roger Miller and a lot of people say who I don't know and then you start saying some accomplishments mm-hmm. or singing a couple of songs and they say oh yeah I know that oh I didn't know that mm-hmm. oh I didn't know that so mm-hmm. that's the kind of career I think he has yeah 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 a brilliant lyricist thank you yeah well, I'm saying it on his behalf You're welcome. but yeah he was a brilliant lyricist for sure absolutely yes. Is that intimidating? Because yes. you're in music, obviously. It was for a long time. Yeah. How did you um, deal with that? Well, is, isn't part of your uh, vibe here spirituality? and Absolutely. Spir- okay. My, so, but I have no... I mean, it's just... Okay. The, for me, it's not even interview format. It's just conversation. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, I think that way it, it allows it to go in any direction, which Okay. So there, there are no limits on your... Yeah. Frenetic concept. as hell. Okay. Well, part of my spiritual journey was... I believe early on I was very creative. I wrote songs, played guitar and stuff, but I was really intimidated by my father, you know. And then when most kids, when you're young and you're being creative, your parents go, Yay, little Johnny wrote a song, isn't that good? And they encourage you and they lift you up, you know. They make you play at Thanksgiving. Exactly, right. And in my house, you write a song and they go, well, you know, the bridge needs a little bit of work, and this metaphor is quite overused. And then, you know, you don't, you're hitting flat notes in the third verse. And okay, so, you know, at 14, I'm just, you know, I was, I was a real fragile kid. And so I just hid inside myself and didn't play these songs for anybody. Yeah. And then when I got out of the house and was in college, I just said, well, there's no way I can sing and write music. So, uh, but I want to perform. So I went into acting and filmmaking, and I studied that. But I met these guys who played country music in college. And they started bringing me out of my shell, and I started writing songs and playing them for people. And Mm -hmm. if you think the music business is tough, try being an actor. I mean, L.A., acting, auditions, it was hell. But the whole time I was playing in this band, and um, it just, music started taking me over, and and all signs pointed to Nashville. And I just finally hit a point at 25 where I said, if I don't go to Nashville, I'll always wonder what if I'd gone to Nashville. Did your dad ever live here? He did in, um, in the... Uh, early 60s okay. up to about 1965 late 50s early 60s to 1965 and then he moved to Los Angeles well it's going to be very strange I, I know that a lot of actors for example when their parents are quite famous they change their names mm-hmm. so that you know the nepotism doesn't right. sneak in but um, did you find that to be an issue at all when you were starting my, out here in Nashville not in Nashville my full name is Roger Dean Miller Jr. and from the time I was born my parents called me Dean Uh, because it would have been confusing around the house, I guess. But um, when I came to Nashville, you know, my dad had this policy. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know anybody. I'd never spent time here except with my dad. And I, when I first moved here, I said, can you call some people or set me up with some meetings? And he said, nope, not going to call one person. He said, I will do one thing. I will allow you to use my name. And he said, that will open a thousand doors. And he was right. He said, but I, if, if you're going to do music, music is the hardest thing in the world and the business is tough and heartbreaking. He said, if you really want it, you have to really want it on your own. Yeah, I he can said, understand that. He said, if I hand it to you, it won't have any meaning to you. Yeah. And I was really hurt by that at the time <laughs> and frustrated. And in retrospect, it was the best thing he ever did for me. It made me a better person. Made yeah. me, it made, gave me survival skills. 
Were you, were you all close, or? Yes, in a in a strange way. I'm the only kid that he raised. I'm the only. I mean, he had seven kids from three marriages. Sounds very Marley of him. Yeah. Well, he came. He came, I came and went from his life. Um, but when I was 13, I lived with him permanently, and he raised me, and he and I stuck with him, and he stuck with me till he died. And um, I'm the only one of the seven kids that that happened with. I don't know exactly why. Um, I think a big part of it was that I stuck with it and I made an effort, and you know. Sure. And, um, but um, it was a. It, it was at times. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you if you know people like this where you're so much like them that it's just there's a little tension there because you're so much alike and you push each other's buttons. And I sure. think my dad and I were like that. I also think that at the time I was a teenager and a young adult and I didn't want to hear what my dad had to say and he was one of the wisest people in the world and he knew I wasn't accepting his mm. advice and wisdom and I was breaking off and it frustrated him yeah so you now are a producer in your own right you mm -hmm. the last time we caught up you were working on a big project are yes you, can we're you still working on it? I can talk about it okay. um, uh, we're doing a giant tribute album for my father Roger Miller, and um, Never sorry, heard of that. <laughs> we're doing a giant tribute album. It has you just spiked my mic. I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, it has over thirty, well, thirty or more artists. I've lost count on it, and they're major, major performers. And it's taken almost a year to complete. The performing of it or the making of it has not been the hard part. The hard part is contracts. And it, for anyone who's ever dealt with managers and attorneys on a scale of 30 artists, who most of them are major and think they're Elvis, okay, it has taken forever to work out these contracts. Imagine 30 people who want to make sure no one else of those 30 gets a better deal than the other. Oh my right? God, what a nightmare. And they all have to see what everybody else gets. And so it's called a most favored nations contract where the best deal is what everybody gets. Yeah. But nobody trusts anybody, and lawyers Welcome want to make to the money. Yeah. Oh, and the the absolute childish tantrums you get into, yeah. and the treatment on the phone. I, when George Carlin said uh, show business is no, it was Martin Mull said show business is high school with money. Yeah, he's absolutely right. People yeah. are like high school. I agree. With they that. act like high school. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, interesting. What's do you know the name of the album yet, or um, still working it out? I. Well, I have a theory on this. I think a lot of people may have forgotten who my dad is, but everybody knows what King of the Road is, the song. Yeah. So I'd like to call it King of the Road, a tribute to Roger Miller, but that remains to be seen. Well, so do you have to go through hoops, even though you're the child of... Hoops with what? With the estate, I guess. And the estate? The estate and doing the songs. It, well, there's a thing. I mean, I can get into all this great detail. There's a thing. Once a song's been recorded and publicly released, anybody can record it. Right. So re the recording of the songs is not a problem. Using my dad's name and likeness is the only thing that we have to ask permission for, but I don't foresee that being a problem. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. It's a complicated business. It's it's all legalese and, you know... It's true. What is that old saying that you lay a baby, the gypsies lay the baby on the blanket, and next to them there's a pile of money, and on the other side of them is a violin. And if they reach for the violin, they'll, they'll be a musician, and if they reach for the pile of money, they'll be a lawyer. Interesting. <laughs> or a music lawyer. Yes, interesting. A music lawyer. So if they reach with both hands, right? Yeah, right. right. Or a performing lawyer, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Of which there are some. Yes. Yeah, there are some for sure. Yes. I've known some lovely lawyers, but I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of them. Well, I always say 
this is something, if, if I could go back and give my young self advice, when I was really young, I thought I needed a, a lawyer to look at everything I ever signed or everything I looked at. And now I can read a contract backwards and forwards and I know what I'm reading. But if I could give one piece of advice to young people, I would say the first thing an attorney will tell you is how much you need them. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm so glad you called me. You're, oh, you've got, oh, this deal is terrible. I've got to just, oh well, my Well, you can Google so much nowadays yes. too. So you can right. look up what a lot of things are. Um, right. But you can also know just enough to be dangerous mm-hmm. too. There is a, there's that great book by uh, Passman, Everything mm-hmm. You Need to Know About the Music Business. And mm-hmm. it has a lot of example contracts and things in it. But, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then when you get down to the nitty-gritty, it's a good idea to have someone in your corner, I think. Oh, when it you went... probably know a lot more than I, however, because you've been doing it for so long and you've seen all these contracts. I have. I mean, what I've learned is um, you get a lawyer too early and you end up spending a fortune. Yeah. I mean, I'm in a position where I understand a contract, I talk the basic points, I get back and forth, and then when it's time to sign, I say to the attorney, look at this final thing and tell me what I'm missing. Yeah. That's what That's I do smart. Yeah. because that that saves me about you know five grand or something. Yeah, you know what I mean? It can be big money because they'll charge you for every phone call, every yeah. conversation, everything. And I know some lawyers who are friends of mine that charge upwards of five hundred dollars an hour. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you know. And I, how do you get to that position, man? I don't know. Uh, I guess. I mean, like anything else, how does anybody get to to be the the best at what they do? Or they don't even have to be the best necessarily. They just have to know the most people or have the best networking skills. We all know that it isn't necessarily talent that makes no. one the most successful. No. You know? Good has very little to do with it. Yeah. No. So ambition can take a person a long way. Mm-hmm. So can sociopathic tendencies. So can, you know, there's lots mm-hmm. of things that will Persistence, oh, never persistence. get never quitting. Yeah. But sometimes if you if you never quit but you don't realize you have no talent that's kind of a bad combination. Well, unless it makes you happy. I mean, if it's, yeah. you know, if, if a, I always think about that. If, if a person is loves what they do, and maybe you hear them and you think, oh my God, this, it's never going to, it's never going to happen. Right. Or maybe they just, you can tell us we're going to happen just for whatever. Maybe they don't practice all that much or maybe, but they still love it and they get out there and, mm-hmm. and whatever. Um, if it makes them happy. If you love the process, I think it's so important to love the process, but in my line of work, you know, I produce things I love, I produce things I hate, and everything in between because I have to make a living, right. but, but when I'm producing, I would say many, many, many of these people I meet, they don't care about the process, they just want to be famous, they just want to mm-hmm. arrive on some red carpet. Yeah. I meet Thanks, these, reality television. I know it. I meet these <laughs> 17, 18-year-old girls who say, I don't know, just pick some songs that are like Taylor Swift. I don't care. I don't care. Whatever. They don't care about the process. Yeah. They just think, I want to arrive. Yeah. It takes a it's, lot to get there. But it doesn't for some people. Some people just get there. So. Yeah. Well, it's sad that, I guess, this culture instills in people, don't worry about having a skill. Just stand in front of a camera you know? yeah it is a curious time it is so how i i you also are a dog person yes uh-huh. i'm a dog big trainer. time yeah and uh but yeah as you say but you you've taken it that much further you're like a dog whisperer yeah i call myself the dog counselor because half of what i do is sit in a house with people i go do home in-home visits i go to people's houses for about 90 minutes and half the time i'm talking to the person about what they're not getting about their dog Mm -hmm. because it's usually as simple as the human misunderstanding the dog 
and communicating in a way the dog doesn't understand. It's usually that simple. Um, you know, the dog's speaking Portuguese and you're speaking English and we're not meeting in the middle. All right. Um, and oh, having done it hundreds and hundreds of times, I can usually walk in a house and I can say, this is the vibe and you're not getting it, you know. Um, so I, anyway, I call myself the dog counselor and I, I go to people's homes and I, I can solve most basic issues in an hour to an hour and a half. If it's a more complicated issue, it takes what more What would be repetition. a basic issue? You know, sit, stay, lie down, don't jump on me, don't, don't bark at guests, yeah. don't jump on the counters. That's very basic. You know, I, yesterday, uh, day before yesterday, I, I worked with a client that had a 120-pound St. Bernard that was lunging at people and trying to bite people and hardcore, you know, aggression, hardcore aggression. But when I got there, you know... All I see when I look at that is a, is a misunderstanding. It's a, a frustrated, insecure dog with an owner who is terrified. And the dog doesn't know she's terrified of, her, of that dog. She thinks she's terrified of everything else. So the dog takes on this protective nature. Makes total sense. And the minute I show her how to reverse the roles where the dog understood, the dog relaxed, let her position go, and lay down behind her. And, yeah. and, and it's a fundamental misunderstanding. That's a pretty simplistic case that has gone on for a lot months and months and months because nobody everyone was treating it as aggression you got to use shock collars you got to be assertive you got to say no you got to do all this stuff and what i recognized in five minutes was the dog is being your security guard because you're showing a lack of control and fear and, and tons of fear and tons of fear sure and dogs really do t- pick up the personality their pers- the personalities of their people. Right. Because my dog, Mikey, mm-hmm. may he rest in peace. And I'm very sorry about oh, your loss. You. Me too. But um, he was a breed mutt of three highly spastic dogs. Mm-hmm. He was the most chill mm-hmm. dog. Mm-hmm. I'm super chill. Mm-hmm. And he, there was no reason for him to be hyper, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And, um, and it's true. And people always say, oh, your dog must have been crazy with that. Um, nope. Yeah. And every dog's different. I have seen, you know, incredibly hyper Siberian Huskies and incredibly mellow Siberian mm-hmm. Huskies and every kind of breed. Yeah. So it's, it's Mutts just... Mutts are probably helpful too because yeah. they're a little more chill anyway. And it's just like people. They're just... You've got to take them on an individual basis. Yeah. They're mean people, shy people, aggressive people, introverted people. Yeah. Dogs, same thing. Yeah. But, um, you know, I believe they're incredibly emotionally intuitive, but they can't... They don't have... What, what they're lacking... That is the biggest problem is that they don't have a verbal mechanism. They don't have words. And, and humans rely so much on our words and our talking and our, your rationale and all our brain power and thought. And these are animals moving on a very instinctual, right, wrong, positive, negative, good, bad, love, hate thing, you know. What about those dogs that seem to have a vocabulary a real vocabulary. I mean, they must, there must be some. some the, well, there are like humans. There are some dumb dogs and some real smart. That dogs. is true. The, the average dog can learn over a hundred to one hundred and fifty words. Some dogs have learned over That's a thousand. Some people I know. Yes, I yeah. absolutely. Me too. And some over a thousand words. But um, the uh, they don't even have the part of the brain that makes verbal language. So it's a miracle of nature. It's a miracle of science that they learn our words. People cannot understand why or prove why they learn our words. 
And my theory and the, what I believe is that they love us so much that they're, and they live with us trying to reach across and understand us. Mm-hmm. So they accept this, this word stuff, but they can't say the words. Yeah. They can't form the words. I know they words. really want to. They want to, but they can't make the words. I had moments with Mikey where I, I, we would just look at each other. We wouldn't yeah. say anything. We would right. look at each other, and I felt like there was more conversation Absolutely. going on there. It was really quite lovely. And don't you feel that it transcends words? Like, Absolutely. Yeah, it transcends words, and it's almost more complex than you could... Sometimes I believe words frame things so they bring them down, but there's a bigger thought process, a bigger emotional process that I get with animals because you can sit there in the silence and just have a communion with an animal. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get esoteric here, but... Let's do- get esoteric. Well, I feel like dogs are a portal. They're a portal to something that humans have lost touch with, which is we have fronts and masks and defenses and all these things. Absolutely. And dogs, I think the reason people love dogs so much is they have none of that. What you see is what you get. I love you. I hate you. I'll kill you. Whatever you're seeing is, you know, a dog cannot say to you, cannot, a dog cannot pretend to like you and secretly harbor hatred. They can't. Um, there's a book called Dogs Never Lie About Love because they can't. They can't lie. Um, so that's one of the things I love about him most. And even when some dog is ripping into me, it's because he hates me, but he's not pretending to like me. You know? Have you been bitten badly by a dog? Many, many times. I have scars everywhere from dogs. Yeah. I've been eaten up. Yeah. But I, the weird thing about it is it's, it's made me lose my fear. I don't have yeah. fear when I walk into these places. Which is why you're good at what you do. Well, the dogs react to that lack of fear. Uh, and I would say 90% of the aggressive dogs I see have started small. They started with a growl. They started with a snarl you know, small. And nobody corrected that in a way that they needed to. So it gave the dog power because they snarl and the person backs up, flinches, and the dog goes, ooh, that works. Let me try it a little more. Let me try it a little more. And before you know it, that dog is like running. Right. Before you know it, that dog is running the show and nobody noticed it till it was like on a level eight or a level 10, you yeah. know. Um, if we'd stopped it at the growl, we might not have even gotten to that level. Yeah. I'm working with a family. I've been back twice now. They have an Akita, which is a huge dog. Yes. And this a fighting, dog. A, a, a protect, big protective Big dog. protective dog. Yeah. And this dog has taken to growling and snapping, and they only called someone to help when it bit the lady in the face, ripped her face. And um, if they'd stopped this early on at the first growl, it never would have come to the ripped face. But I've worked with the dog twice, and now the dog just stands down every time they verbally correct. If they say no, the dog says yes, sir. And we've done nothing harsh nothing mean we just communicate with the dog yes in terms of the physical the sound the way they understand yeah i think people are confused they think that they need to hit a dog Mm. i i never Mm. laid a hand on my Mm -hmm. dog and he i could put a plate of food on the kitchen Mm -hmm. floor Mm -hmm. and leave not even command him and Mm -hmm. leave the room and come back a minute later and he will not have touched it unless i had told him to do so but so, you probably but, spent his whole life building a relationship. And that relationship yeah. was, you're the mom, he's the kid. Yeah. Here are the rules, here are the yeah. boundaries. You know, yeah. people just get a dog and they just love the dog and turn it loose in their house. And, and that's like turning a four-year-old loose in your house. You have and, to train them. Right. And, and so when we have a kid, we say, do your homework, eat your vegetables, go to bed at eight. Because that connects to what kind of adult they become. Mm-hmm. But people skip all that. They just get a dog and cuddle on the couch and yeah. feed it treats and love, 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 love. And then before you know it, the dog says, great, I love you. You're great and everything, but I'm the boss. Yeah. I'm the one who makes rules. Yeah. So you got to have balance. So what led you down that path from music to dog? 
Oh, I, it, it's a longer story than this, but this is really it in a nutshell. I had been kicked around by the music business in every possible way. I've had multiple record deals and multiple publishing deals and lots of cuts that never became hits. And, you know, I'm, I'm the most successful, least successful guy I know. I don't know what it is. I, I know everybody. I've done everything, but yet I have not much to show for it. And, excuse me, between my second and third record deal, I was sitting on Music Row and I was sitting in my car and I was just furious and frustrated with the business with like, with going nowhere or like climbing a mountain getting almost to the top and crashing again which is the pattern that seemed like for me and I realized I kept going back to Music Row and the Nashville system and talking to the same eight or ten people and saying how about today you like me today how about today which is kind of like calling the same girl and asking her out who said no 15 times you don't call her again and say hey I cut my hair how about today these people have said no they don't want you we're done so I said to myself you know that old saying about um, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results well I said I keep going down to music row and expecting different results so I said I'm going to sit in this car and I'm going to think of something else besides music that makes me happy. Because I was to the point where I said, i got to get a real job or something. Sure. And I said, I'm not going to move this car until I think what, what makes me happy besides music. Stop putting your head on the chopping block. Because I needed to pull out of it for a while to clear myself. So I said, well, I love animals. I love dogs. I've had dogs since I was born. I have an affinity for it. I know what to do. I've, I'm, I'm in love with dogs the same way I am in love with music. And I said, well, you know, I know how to tr teach and train and get them to do things. I can turn that into a business. And then that formulated and formulated and grew into the fact that as I was teaching lessons and working in dog facilities, I realized that people will sign up for six or eight weeks of classes and they'll quit by the second one. They'll quit by the third one. They don't like it. They don't have time. They're busy. Life. Life takes over. Whatever. Right. They just want somebody to come in their house and fix it. Just fix it. And I knew if I could go into people's houses and show them results with their dogs. I don't fix the problem in that instant, but I show them how to get on the path with their dog. And the results happen right away. And I said, I knew if I could define that in an hour, people would pay for that. So that's what I developed. Huh. So I, it's my own method of training. Nobody else teaches it. I took methods from all different methods that work and trial and error, and it's just my own thing. Nobody else teaches it. How do people get a hold of you if they want their dog? Um, I, you have to do Morse code. It's really difficult. And then mm -hmm. Pony Express. No. Uh, it's real. I'm at the dog counselor. It's it's a pony and not a dog. That's right. It should be the dog express. Um, I have... Um, uh, thedogcounselor.com is my website you can call, email, text me I will answer any of those things I'm real easy to find we'll put links on the, on okay. the website for sure so how old were you when your father passed away? 26 had you already started the dog thing? At no, that point? I had not no, okay so I you were so, what it, when you were having this sort of browbeating mm -hmm. situation that so many have mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did your father have any fatherly advice to that, or did he just let I, you get the crap beat out of you? No, I moved to Nashville when I was 25, and then my dad got sick almost immediately after, so I mm -hmm. kind of quit my life, went back, uh, took care of my dad for almost a year. I had kind of a false start, and then after he died, I came back here and gave the music business my full-time yeah. push. Mm -hmm. So he didn't see anything I did or accomplished in music he didn't see anything I did or accomplished in oh, dogs I, think he or, sees it all the I time. do too well I definitely do yeah. I definitely do but um, 
it, it's been a weird journey. Whenever, and I'm sure everybody thinks this, you look, while it's happening, you think this is the worst. And when you look back, you think it's really a cool adventure, you know? Yeah. It's been a really cool adventure. Were you and your dad close in the last years then? Or? Yeah. I, my dad had varying degrees of like, um, I, I don't know if he dealt well with like, I don't know kids and emotions and I think he had some issues and stuff but in general here the way I like to put it is when he was in the room he was the greatest dad in the world and sometimes when he wasn't in the room it didn't occur to him that he had kids ah. okay so <laughs> but when he called or was there and you know when I, but living with him he he would come home and had no way of denying that I lived there and, and he was a good dad to me I think I was a, a kid that tagged along and I didn't want to be a buzzkill, so I, you know, I was always like, I don't want to rock the boat, or so I was a real easy kid to take on the road. I made myself a real cool kid to take places, so yeah. that, and I think the other kids, you know, there were issues. To Are your siblings? You my mean? siblings. Yeah. yeah. Are you close? There's seven total. There's seven total. And are you close with any? The first marriage, I only met those three children once in my life. Still. Yeah. Once, maybe twice in my life. When my dad divorced from that family, everybody split, and there was no looking back, basically. And uh, and those guys, you know, two of them are in their 50s. One's passed away. Uh, maybe 60s now. 50s or 60s. Time flies. And, um, and then I have a sister from my real mother and my dad's marriage, and she and I are close. We weren't for a long time. You but and we, your we are now. close. Yes. yes. We weren't for a long time. We are now. And then I have a brother and sister who are adopted from my dad's third marriage. Are you close with them? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Why do you think that there was not any connection to the first family? Because I think, I mean, I wasn't born yet, so I don't know for sure. I think my dad married very young, had three kids, boom, 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 at 19, 20 years old. That's what people did back which, then. Which is what people did. And then I think um, there came a point where it was like, this dumb music business or me and he said oh music <laughs> and I think he just went boop bye yeah and I think that was no looking back yeah you know um, it's not right it's not wrong it's whatever it is yeah, but yeah. it is what it is you know I wasn't even born so I don't know how to assess all that and then I don't know what your family's like, but in my family... They're insane. Okay, well, then there you go. Normal. But, They're normally in, you know... Yeah, but in my family, there's like... Um, 40 variations of the same story and whatever fits somebody's reality. And, oh, okay. You know, and, I, and you go, well, what happened when he left her? Oh, he didn't leave her. Oh, okay. You know, and you go, I don't, what happened, you know? Well, I mean, well, I that's have... That's interesting. Yeah. So every, every child's recollection has a different choose-your-own-adventure outcome? or Well, I think that's true in life in general. Mm -hmm. Everybody has different... You know, when a witness sees a crime and oh, six sure. different people say the same thing. Sure, but sure. I have a member of my family, I will not say the person's name, but this person in my family loves to say, that's not how it happened. That never happened. No, you're wrong. Mm. Now, nothing negative ever happened. Life is good. Uh, Rosie, All of it's yeah. perfect. And it kind of makes you feel a little crazy sometimes. Uh -huh. Because you'll say, you know, why did that person shoot me in the head? And then someone says, they didn't shoot you in the head. And then you start to go, oh my whoa, God, what, what's my reality? Okay, they never said that. I didn't say that. Do you think growing up with uh, in your situation with a famous father and, mm -hmm. and, and you know, quote unquote, the broken mm -hmm. you know, family dynamic. It's whatever, like therapy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever that means, mm -hmm. you know, did, did it 
affect your relationships with women? As you 100%. Were? 100%. 100%. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, my parents would split and get back together on a yearly basis while I was young. Like, um, my earliest recollection... I've been with those kind of... I mean, I've had those relationships. Oh, yeah. Well, with people who are the victim of... Uh, the result the of The result of it. The victim. Well, yeah, you know. where, like, where you're drawn to a person. Oh, where, oh. I thought then, you meant children of those relationships. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm okay. saying I've been in that relationship where you're drawn to the person, and then you fight, like, and then you split, split. and then you're drawn back because yes. it's a passion. Yes. That it's an inexplicable, make you insane. Yes. You, you don't belong together on any logical basis. Everything on paper says this is wrong, but something in you goes... Yeah. You know? So that was my parents. Okay. And, and they did that a lot. And when they were in the room... Well, the, my if you saw them together, you couldn't see two more different people. Mm-hmm. I mean, my dad was freewheeling and jokes and funny and adventure, and my mom was like, that's not funny. Stop it. Stay home. Be normal. No. Square. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... But um, they would. My earliest memories are us being split, and my mother's family lived in San Antonio, Texas. And every time they'd split, we'd go back to Texas. So it, my earliest memories are in Texas, uh-huh. and then I remember moving back to California, mm. and then back to Texas, and back to California. And that every year, that's gonna be confusing for a child. I rarely went to the same school two years in a row ever. Um, and then at thirteen, my dad moved to New Mexico. My mother. I mean, this is a whole other separate story. My mother didn't want me anymore, so she said, get out, go to boarding school, live with your father, but don't don't live with me ever. Were you cramping her style? I was not a bad kid, I promise you. Uh, sure I in the Bible, you. I was not a bad kid. I believe you. I think it's issues with between the two of them, issues with men, adult issues that shouldn't have been a child's issues. Right. But once I was out of the house, she didn't speak to me anymore, so yeah. I had no relationship with my mother. Ever again? Mm-mm. Um, we tried to talk a couple of times. I visited her twice, and then she passed away. So. Oh, sorry. That's okay. But then, so, you know, that's a whole challenging thing, but I guess your question was, does it affect my relationship with women? Yeah, it does, for sure. How so? Um, oh, my gosh. this is I can't believe this is out for public consumption. Um, but I'm happy to talk about it. I feel like in life, I'm always prepared that, that people will dump you. Mm. In, in any second sure. because at 13 I'd lived a life with my mother where she was consistently my mother and even in turmoil she was the only thing I could count on moving back and forth and this only comes after years of realization but you know you move to Texas you move to California whatever you're living out of a box you're living in a hotel and the only constant is your mother and then at 13 she says I'm not speaking to you ever again that's some heavy shit to it's, deal a, with. it's some heavy shit yeah. and then go live with your father who you, you, who's, you don't who's, even know, who's really. been in and out of your life yeah. right? in and out of your life and then all of a sudden, it's just a whole different lifestyle because his lifestyle was rock and roll and Vegas nights and 5 a.m. And, you know, every summer we're on the road and rock and roll, man. But you saw some panties. Panties. Yeah. <laughs> well, not that. I'm but, just saying. But, I, but one of my favorite stories is being 15 and my dad did this whole stint for a summer at the Silverbird Hotel in Las Vegas, which no longer exists. And they had showgirls. And at 15, my goal was to stand in the spot at, at backstage between my dad's set and the showgirls and stand. I found the perfect spot where the girls changed. And, I, and I'm 15 years old. Oh, I mean, this is rock and roll, man. You know, 
I have a bunch of stories like this. But anyway, so, but... Did you lose your virginity to a girl? I did not. I did not. I lost my virginity late in life, which is uh, an interesting story, but that's a whole separate story, which is ironic for the way I grew up. Yeah. I would think that, you know, you would have had like a gangbang with showgirls or something. (laughs) Here's the thing that that I think about. Can I say gangbang? I I can't believe we're talking about the things we're talking about, but um, this will come back to haunt me, I know. No, it won't. But it's all um, you know what we live our lives. We live our lives, right? It is exactly. What it is. I am what I am. I don't have anything to hide. But yeah. um, and anyone that would come to you and say, "Well, I love you," except for this one thing, doesn't actually love oh, you. Oh, Facebook's full of that. I get that every day. Someone writing to me going, "Oh, well, you said a dirty word," or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I don't care. But anyway, so um, but I uh, I think that because my dad was so wild, my stepmom and my dad and their lifestyle were so wild that my form of rebellion was to be. Totally straight. Alex P. Keaton. Alex P. Keaton. Come home at night at a certain yeah. time. Never, you know, don't do the drugs. And Oh, yes, you know, I'm not, yeah. you know, all that. And my dad, I remember my dad multiple times going, you're such a tight ass. Why don't you loose, loosen up, you tight ass? And I'd go, no, no. I just Because I, I guess I felt like at any minute somebody was going to jail or something, you know? I don't know. Well, that's going to be super stressful, too. So basically, your childhood was mm-hmm. a series of abandonment and stress. I, they, yeah. How could you escape anything but having that fuck your, and both your, parents telling your life you stuff. up in relationships later on? Yeah, and both parents saying horrible things about the other, so you're scared to be with each one because of what the other one's told you about them, you know? Yeah. Uh, my, my stepmom used to say when I go visit my dad, Really psychologically screwed up things like my my step my my, mom, my mother would say now when you go visit your dad be sure to put your seatbelt uh, on in the car because he's always on drugs. So you're like eleven going, oh, I'm gonna die, you know. Yeah. You just you know. Have you done the therapy? Oh yeah. Okay. I've done it all. Yeah. But I think at my age, God bless therapy, right? Yeah. But I will tell you what changed my life was um, a book called um, The Untethered Soul. Do you know this book? I think I have that book. Somebody recommended... I haven't read it yet, but I think I have it. Well, the gist of it, and it took me till my 40s to figure this out. Who, who it, wrote it? Um, Michael Sing, uh, Singer? Does that sound right? I think that is right. Something that, I Singer? I think I do have that on my nightstand. It's in my two-week I think it has file. a horse on the cover or something. A horse? I think it's a horse on a beach or something. It's called The Untethered Soul. <laughs> okay. All I know is that song, that book changed my life. And where, however you find this, whether it's that book or however, the, the gist of what I had to come to realization is, is that um, your thoughts are going to be there one way or the other. And you can either control them or watch them from a distance or whatever, but you don't have to be controlled by your thoughts. You don't have to let them consume you. You don't let to ha- ha- let, have to let them trigger emotions. And I used to be a person who would churn and churn and churn over things and think about things. And I realized, as this book says, you can just lean back from your thoughts and observe them. Because people start to believe that you are your thoughts. I am what I'm thinking. I am what I'm doing. But really who you are is the part of you that's observing right now. Hey, I'm thinking some negative thoughts. Oh, look at those horrible thoughts. We talk about this all the time in the Where I'm Calling From podcast. Yeah, that... That to know your shadow side, to know your jealousy side, to know your angry, your sad, to, to have them it's as if they're their own beings and they mm-hmm. walk up and you say, oh, hello, sadness, why are you sad? Yeah. And then sadness says, I'm sad because this, this, and this. Yeah. Or hello, angry, why are you angry? Or hello, jealousy, why are you jealous? That's a form of what I'm talking okay, about. But yeah. but what I'm talking about is your thoughts, mm-hmm. which usually start in a chain, you know, mm-hmm. it starts with one thing and then pretty soon you're upset mm-hmm. or you're feeling something. 
and it your feelings are your kind of emotional compass or emotions are like your compass and so when i'm feeling bad i ask myself why it's usually thoughts worry stress conflict with someone and then i just begin to lean back from it all which i mean now i see exactly why you do what you do with the dogs because mm-hmm. you're the dogs represent in a way, you. Yes. I mean, that's really profoundly amazing and means a lot to me that you notice that because the reason that I have such an affinity for broken dogs is because I was a an abandoned, kicked out dog that we had that we got to we got to find a home for him you know who's going to take the dog oh fine I'll take the dog it's kind of how I've always felt my whole life you know and so and when I go into homes I feel like it's a giant victory when I can keep that dog from being thrown out because of a misunderstanding it's beautiful work and so it is not training and and if you tell people this they're not going to hire you but why I call myself the dog counselor is because I come in and I say look this is what's going on in your life and you're out I told this woman yesterday I said there's an old saying God doesn't give us the dog we want he gives us the dog we need and she starts telling me this unfolding story about how she needs confidence she's a manager in a accounting company and she manages all these people and she engages in all this conflict and takes it on upon herself and has beats herself up and all this. and she says this is the second dog that that I've had that's huge and starts out perfect and then becomes gradually more aggressive and then I feel out of control and terrified and I said well you know how they say a lesson keeps repeating itself till you learn it God keeps giving you a dog mm-hmm. that is going to teach you this lesson I said now watch this lesson and I and through an hour and a half I teach this lady to let go of her fear, to walk the dog perfectly, to walk through the house. And I said, you know, while you're walking the dog, don't think about all this what if, what if, what if. Think about your favorite vacation spot. Think about anything else. And when you start to do that, you watch the dog change. Mm-hmm. The it's, dog. Zach Scow was on one of my Hey Humans, and he works with dogs. Mm-hmm. And he said that, think of that leash like a tether of your emotional tether. And so whatever it is you're feeling, it is. that that vibration is going down into the dog. And, the, and I believe that. And they are so... People forget, because a dog is not talking to you in words, because a dog is not looking at you and making eye contact, it does not It does not mean they are not con- connected to you fully. They're so intuitive. They're so intuitive. When they walk beside you, they're not looking at you, but they're feeling everything. They know everything. They're here. They hear four and a half times the level we hear. But even beyond that, there's something else going on. You know as a dog owner. I know as a dog owner. There's something intangible going on in our relationship with our dogs. And they reflect us. And um, the other thing I was going to say that people don't take into consideration, when our emotions change... Our body chemistry changes. Mm. Adrenaline shifts. Our smell. Our taste. And they smell a thousand times what we smell. So when adrenaline... (laughs) That probably just sounded weird. I know, it did, doesn't it? (laughs) Our taste. Our taste, exactly. I've eaten a few people. Yes, well, but... And after I've hunted them, they're really scared. That's right. They're more acrid. That's right. Exactly. Acrid. Um, But... but, a dog. I've been watching Hannibal. It's the only reason oh, you I have. Okay, that. I got gotcha. you. But when your adrenaline shoots through your body, like I, I have what I call the uh oh moment. People know their dog's aggressive. Here comes a dog. They go uh oh. Oh right. And they tighten up on that leash, and adrenaline shoots through their body, and the dog immediately feels the tension of the and leash. Goes, oh my god! I have smells to the attention, yeah. and they think it can't possibly be me. It's that. Yes. It's that dog coming. Yes. So they hit the roof. Yeah. And you need to be the one that says, you're not my protector. I'm your protector. Move, sit, lie down, and reverse that role. Right. It doesn't happen instantly because it creeps up on you. Right. 
that's the core kind of way that I train. I go into people's houses and, and from sitting and staying and lying down, which I can teach, it's all the same. You got to learn to communicate with your dog in their language, which is body language. I find it very and, fascinating as well that the woman said, this is my second dog where they start out normal and go thing. crazy. Mm-hmm. And it, now, any, any person might go, well, maybe it's What's you? the pattern? Yeah, right? what's, what's the, the pattern? pattern? I think about that when people talk to me about... Um, you know, they've gone through X, Y, Z amount of people they've dated, and mm-hmm. it always ends up the same. The person mm-hmm. ends up saying this or doing this, and then it falls apart. And I'm like, well, you're the constant in that. That's right. That's right. So I just, um, I just find something spiritual, something therapeutic, and something I can pass on to other people. Not to get too spiritual, but I look at my dog training as a ministry. I'm trying to teach people, show people what I know about dogs. I've written a book. A Dog's Way. I've written a book um, that you can find on Amazon.com or on my website, thedogcounselor.com. But um, no, but this book well, is... I'm going to put all the links and I'll get the link to your book and all that stuff. Okay, I'll thanks. make sure it's all up there. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. But in my book, it's all about getting people to understand what, what I understand about dogs. It's not just how do I get him to sit or something? How do I, you know, the calls always begin with how do I get my dog to stop peeing in the house? How do I get my dog to do whatever? And then I walk in. How do I get my dog to do my taxes? Right. And, and really it's, it's not that it's what is your relationship to the dog? You know, a, a person listens to their parents and respects them because of what happened when they were four and six and eight and 10. Yeah. But we tend to wait till the dog's doing something wrong and then say, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It's fascinating. I think it's, it's great work that you're yeah. doing. And I try to make it really tangible. I try never to judge the people I'm going in and meeting because half the people I meet are saying stuff like, I'm getting rid of this damn dog. If you don't fix it now, I'm getting rid of this dog. Get rid of I hate the phrase, get rid of my dog. It's like saying, get yeah. rid of my child. You know. Yeah. Have you um, been in a situation where you've had to remove the dog from the person because you knew that there was some bad voodoo going down? or? With the person being abusive to the dog? I have luckily not seen... Usually if a person's willing to call me or call someone like me, um, they care enough to try to solve something somewhere inside them. Um, I've seen verbally abusive situations between husbands and wives where that's what's causing the problem with the dog. Oh, absolutely. Several years ago, I went into a home where they had five... No, they, they had five dogs. They had five dogs. And the guy said... These are my three dogs. Those are her two dogs. Aww, and, and the whole story was he. they sleep in separate bedrooms. They hate each other. They don't get along. And it's all reflected in the split Aww. of the dogs. And this one dog just kept lunging at this guy. And he was saying, I'm going to kill the dog. I'm going to kill the dog. I'm going to kill the dog. And I come in there and I say, well, how do you possibly not think your dogs are going to be emotionally nuts oh, that makes me when so you guys sad. treat each other like this yeah. and and I try not to be judgmental because the way you change people is by getting them to kind of see it you know yeah and so I would say I always say to people I can tell you're frustrated I can tell you're having a feeling yeah. right now and pretty soon I just these little guys these little dogs if we let them be their barometers for our life absolutely I totally agree with you and so do your babies your fur babies sleep in the same bed as you yeah of course you know a lot of trainers would say don't let them sleep in the bed I know it's the stupidest thing right (laughs) here's it's it's as simple as this it's not whether they sleep in the bed it's not whether they walk in front of you on the leash it's not whether it's how do they do it does a dog jump in your bed and claim the pillow and growl at you and say, "Er, this is my spot? Or do they just gently get on the bed and sleep next to you, right? If the dog's jumping on the bed, claiming a spot and being mean to you, hey, it's time to learn something. Move. Get off. Yeah. 
But if they're just getting up their share in the bed with you, what's wrong with them? Right, because they're pack animals. Right. They want to be with their leader. Right, and if you want to add something, if you want to say to your dog, sit before they get on the bed, okay, come on up. That's like, please, may I? That's yeah. a nice little thing. Sure. But there's no reason they should be banished from the bed. My, my ex and yeah. I, when we first started dating... Um, Mikey, of course, came with me. I'm a package deal. Well, now I'm not. I'm a, I'm a lone wolf, oh, but it's okay. Anyway, but when we first started dating, uh, Mikey and I spent the night at his house, and um, he's like, well, I really don't want the dog in the bed. I was like, what do you mean? Like, that's just shy. How can that possibly <laughs> be? How even be? Right. And if he'll sleep next to me, he won't be on your side or anything. He's like, just no. So I was trying to be respectful. And so I got Mikey's cushy bed, and I put it on the side next to me. And oh, I my said to, gosh. And I said to Mikey, I was like, this is okay. And I put my hand on him, all, you know, until I fell asleep. And I was like, it's okay. We're going to be fine. I hope that guy really appreciated that. Yeah, well, it wasn't long before Mikey was on the bed. But, okay, but okay. here's the funny thing. So how that happened was a few days of me being over there or whatnot, uh, he got up quite early to go to work, and um, like 6 o'clock or whatever. And he'd gotten up, and whenever he would go, Mikey would get up and lay next to me. Like I would, on the bed. I would still be pretty much sleeping. Because he's Mikey, smart. He knows who doesn't want him on the bed. Yes, yeah. very smart. Right. And so as soon as my ex would leave, Mikey would get up and snuggle up next to my belly, right. and and we'd go back to sleep. And I never called him out. He just did it. And so one morning, about five or six days in, same thing happened. Up, he went to work. Mikey jumped on the bed and crawled under and, you know, got all cozy. And then my ex forgot something. Mm. He came back in and he opened the door and I just froze. And I could feel Mikey freeze too. And oh! Because like, oh, you're both on the same we're, team. Yeah, yeah, we're on the same team and we're like, uh. Right. <laughs> and then uh, he came and he's like, where's Mikey? Oh. And I started laughing and I was like, he's with me. And, I, and then after that, it was... It was okay. It was okay. Okay, good. good. I mean... I, it was really hard for me not to let Mikey be with me in the first place because sure. that had to have been confusing for him. Sure. You know, why all of a sudden, and, and he knew it was the guy. Sure. He knew. I just basically, it's so much a part of who I am that if I, I, I'm on a first date just floating the idea of dogs in the house and I got four and, and if I start sensing. a lot sense, of dogs. Yeah, yeah. And if I start sensing, hey, I hate dogs or whatever. Then I'm done. I, I'm not going to go to date two or whatever. Yeah. And it's not. I mean, they can like or not like dogs all they want, but you know who you are. I know how much a part of my life it is. Exactly. And it reflects so much about a person when they say these prejudicial things about dogs. It's almost like racism. I don't mind if you don't like dogs, you don't have dogs, whatever. But when you start saying things like, all pit bulls are evil and they should oh, all I be killed and stuff. And horrible. People say prejudicial things. Dogs are dirty. They smell. They should be outside. Oh, well, you know... That's like racism to me. Yeah. You're not getting I'm it. sure right now every black person listening to this is going, not quite. Wait. Well, not quite. <laughs> but, you know, when you love a dog as much as I do, yes, it, I it feels saying. similar. I, it I, feels I, like somebody criticizing my black uncle. You know yes, what I mean? It's I, like, okay, totally that's it. what it feels like yes. to me. And I'm very protective over, you know, when I've had my fur babies, I've been, I'm very protective. I'm, and... I, I gotta say, I'm a little weirded out by people that don't like animals. Unless yeah. they were bit when they were little or something yeah. where it makes sense. Like, okay, well, I get that. You're scared because you had this traumatic experience. Right. But gosh, how do you not love dogs? I don't know. Because they, they're 
they're showing you. I like cats you, too. I don't yeah, know animals in general are just showing you something pure. And and if you can get to the point where you can realize that even the bad stuff they're showing you is a pure emotion, mm-hmm. it is me showing you everything I am. Yeah, it's beautiful. So I love that. Even the bad ones, even the scary ones. Yeah, I think you you're know, doing really good work. And I mean, the music industry is psychotic, but. You know, working it, with animals, what a beautiful thing to do. Well, thank you. I, yeah. it, it fills me up and it gives me something that when I'm down on myself or have a sad day or feel invisible with music, you know, yeah. um, it, it it's a very immediate, tangible, I did something good today. Yeah. You know, it's it's my little corner. One thing I will tell you is that since I started training dogs and I've, I returned to music, I took a good eight or ten years away from music where I didn't do any music. Mm. I just worked with dogs. I would write songs, but they'd go in the closet. And then, But now I, I went back into producing. I used to really not believe in myself. I was really down on myself with the music. But during that period when I was doing all that stuff, um, the the dogs uh, gave me value mm-hmm. in myself. They made me feel like I was doing something of value. And when I returned to music, I then felt a balance. It wasn't as desperate. Like when I went into... There's an old thing Deepak Chopra said about um, in order to feel truly successful, you need to give up your attachment to the result. And when we're very result-oriented we cause misery within ourselves. So Mm -hmm. I would say, I wrote this great song, but who cares? It's not number one. I'd write a song, who cares? Nobody knows it. It's not famous. Who cares? I'm not selling a million records, so I'm nothing. You know, I would do this real number on myself. And the dog thing taught me to just take beauty and pride in the process and the the creating and now when I produce things I'm not even looking for that I'm just making something for the sake of making it you live in the letting go live in the letting go that's nice the surrender Dorothy that's Mm -hmm. what I I call that right that moment you know I I had this epiphany I've talked again something I've talked about on the where I'm calling from podcast with Kathy um, quite a bit is I had this epiphany on the way to work one day um I realized that that, you know, the moment where, and I think I wrote about it on Facebook, so people had it, you may have read it when I already said it before, but um, I was driving to work and I'm seeing about the movie The Wizard of Oz and that moment where Dorothy looks up and the witch is writing Surrender Dorothy mm-hmm. and she totally panics mm-hmm. and then it's just a shit show from that mm-hmm. point on, everything goes wrong, it's mm-hmm. totally horrifying, she's scared and all this stuff. In that moment I realized that what that means is actually surrender, Dorothy. Ah. If you just surrender, right. it won't be so damn hard. That, and and then at the very end, when she you know, she says all I have to do is click these shoes together, why mm-hmm. didn't you tell me? Mm-hmm. And the good witch says to her, you wouldn't have believed me. Right. So she had to go. You have through, to go through the journey. She had to go through the journey mm-hmm. to get to the surrender and. And, and, and it's interesting that you say that because I just had one of those light bulb moments in epiphany about dogs. But here's the, here's the metaphor for, for dogs. Um, you'll get a really cantankerous, defiant dog or a dog that's been abused or whatever. And let's take, for example, asking the dog to sit or telling the dog to sit. I look at these things as commands. They're not a request. I'm not saying, will you please sit, which I would do with a puppy. With a, with a full-grown dog and you say sit and they don't do it, this is a moment where we're deciding who's above in the pack, who's below, who's the alpha, who's not. And a dog will fight and fight and fight and flip and flop. And then they'll finally surrender. And when they surrender... You back off, you release, you calm, you tell them good dog, you release eye contact, you look the other way, and they feel an instant 
the minute they surrender, they feel in their whole being, struggle, go from struggle to peace. Struggle to peace. And the dog begins to, in essence, say, you mean that's all I had to do? I just had to sit? I thought I had to fight and I thought you were trying to kill me and I thought, it's exactly what you're talking about but in an animal form. Yeah. And once they surrender to you and you're kind and benevolent and use your dominance and your alphaness to not only be on their side and protect them but love them, sure. it's the ultimate relationship for a dog yeah. because they want something more powerful than they are to take care of them. And it's, I just had a mind-blowing thing when you said that. When you surrender, awesome. yeah, yeah. I, I've been trained dogs 10 or 15 years and I never thought of it this way. But when they surrender, they feel the peace and yeah. their life goes so much better. As do we. As do we. Yeah. Because a dog will, a dog that's had a, a sad background, right? You get a dog that's four years old and they've been in shelters, they've been tossed around. That's like a kid that was ripped away and never had good foster, schooling and sure. put in a foster home and maybe they didn't go to school and maybe they didn't, and now we're going to at 20 years old teach you about life. Well, you're going to be a mess. You're going to be weird and you're going to have weird behaviors and all this stuff and most of that's going to be survival skills. I'll kill you. I'll fight you. I'll fight you. I'll control, control, control. I got to control. And the minute you break through and get them to surrender to you, they find a peace they couldn't find any other way. Wow, I'm having a whole metaphor for life I never thought of before. Well, this is really good. Thank you so much. This is life changing because so I've glad. known I've known about this moment forever, but I never applied it to humans. But yeah. it's true. Surrender, Dorothy. See, I have it on my camera right. over there. Perfect. It's a, it's an important message for me. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, a, you have all these. This is beautiful. Thank you. We're in we're in my kitchen right now, and I, I have a piano in my kitchen because where else would I put it? It's perfect. <laughs> It's great. So I have all my little drawings and things like that. I have in my house upstairs, I have a whole mm. office area where I intended when I moved in, this is where I'm going to write, and this is my desk, and this is my stuff, and this is all that. I do everything creative at my kitchen table. There you because go. Because I'm just drawn to the kitchen well, it's table. it's the heart yeah. of the house. It's the heart of the house, right. So that makes sense. So I sit in there and do everything on my kitchen table, and the desk just sits there upstairs, you know. Awesome. Well, I mean, I think that's funny. That That's a very human thing to do, that... Mm. We make specific spots. Well, everything must happen here. Right. But when and then we feel disappointed when it doesn't happen here. But you know what? Life happens where it happens. Cares, right? yeah. You know, you have Surrender, parties. Surrender, Dorothy. Yeah. You ever, you ever have a party? Everybody will gravitate to the kitchen and yeah. talk. It's so and weird. Play piano. And, and I play hope. piano. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Dean Perfect. Miller, thank yes. you so much. Wow, we've talked it up, haven't we? We have. Okay. It was really a pleasure. Uh, I, I'm really glad you came on the show. Thank this is you. great. It beats therapy, and I didn't have to pay for it. Perfect. <laughs> well, okay, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> How much do I have to pay to be on your podcast? <laughs> uh, I'm. If anybody has any questions, or maybe you know, people can write to me, Susan at HeyHumanPodcast.com. Maybe they have questions for you. Maybe you can come on again and sure. we can answer questions for people. Yeah, yeah, and you can email me or call me through the, uh, the dogcounselor.com. Yeah, okay. I'm there. All right. Okay. Thanks for being Thank on you. the show. Thank you. Yay.